Why is seminary so expensive? At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we are committed to the reform of theological education toward meeting the needs of churches across the globe. Men of God cannot serve their churches well if they are burdened with tens of thousands of dollars in student loans from seminary. At CBTS, you can receive a robust theological education for nearly four times less than other institutions. To find out more about how you can receive an accredited theological degree at a cost that you can afford, visit cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. In a previous episode, I mentioned that Ann Dutton corresponded with George Whitfield and his friends. Whitfield thought very highly of Anne's spiritual insights, so much so that he requested she write to certain people. These letters were meant to be publicly read and were even published in London and Philadelphia. Since I've called Anne's letter writing her most important and best work, I want to give you a few samples. These were written approximately 275 years ago so the language and style are quite different from what we are used to today. Some social conventions have dramatically changed, but her grasp of Scripture and her heart of concern and love for God's people still reach across the years to our prophet. So listen to the first letter that she wrote to George Whitfield. To Mr. Whitfield, Very dear and reverend sir, your last sweet letter was very savory to my taste. It brought God to my soul. I feel much heart union with you. I thank you for all the kind expressions of your increasing love. May the Lord reward you a hundredfold in this world and in that to come. Oh, what a blessed instrument of much good has the Lord made you to my poor soul. My dearest brother, you was on the mount when you wrote last. Don't wonder if your wise and gracious leader should again bring you into the valley. The Lord prepares us by great comforts for great trials, and by sore trials for strong consolations. Which way soever he deals with us, it is in infinite love and wisdom. I rejoice in your joy, and that under the apprehension of an approaching trial, your spirit flowed sweetly into the will of God, not only with humble submission, but with joyful acquiescence. With pleasure I saw how the love of God drew your soul to love him, and I longed to be like-minded. When the Lord winds up the love of his children to a high pitch, he delights to try it, and try us he will in our Isaacs, in that which is most near and dear. To us. And if thus the Lord should try you, my dear brother, give him leave to do what he pleaseth. 
Call nothing your own but God's great self. Have no will but his, and then your will cannot be crossed. God called Abraham to offer up his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved. He readily obeyed, and he was called the friend of God. And the Lord grant you grace to offer up all that he calls for in a flame of love to him. And he will record your kindness, what a friend you was to him, and bring it forth unto praise and honor and glory at Christ's appearing. Into the arms of Jesus I commit you, and am with the dearest love, Reverend Sir, your humble servant in the Lord, Anne Dutton. Then for a second letter, I want to give you a bit of background. Dutton heard from Whitfield about the conversion of a dozen black slaves in the state of Georgia, and she was moved to write to them. Some of the language she uses is, of course, not socially proper today, but it was ordinary at the time. Let me read you some selections from that letter. This letter was published in London, and it was entitled, A Letter to the Negroes Lately Converted to Christ in America, and particularly to those lately called out of darkness into God's marvelous light at Mr. Jonathan Bryan's in South Carolina. A welcome to the believing Negroes into the household of God. She writes to them, My very dear brethren in Christ, the glorious head of the church, it is on my heart to welcome you into Christ's fold. O you dear sheep of his, for whom the Lamb's blood was shed, my soul rejoices to hear that your great shepherd has brought you home to himself, has brought you home to his people, and that you, who lately were strangers and foreigners, are now made fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This was long ago the voice of your tender, faithful shepherd, and she quotes from John 10.16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. She goes on. It was you, my dear brethren, you among the rest of us Gentile sinners, that Jesus Christ then had upon his heart. He called you sheep then. As you were given him of his father, as he had received you at the father's hands, and as he had engaged at the father's commandment to give his life for you, to die in your place, to redeem you from death unto life eternal. She then goes on to expound these verses, and toward the end, she says this, And there shall be one fold and one shepherd, says your dear Lord Jesus. One fold? What? Would he take Gentile sinners, worshipers of idols, strangers that were far off, esteemed by the Jews as vile as dogs, and join them into one fold with his peculiar people, the seed of Abraham his friend, unto whom pertained the adoption, the glory, the giving of the law, and the promises? Oh, this abundant grace, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of God's promise in Christ by the gospel. This is a mystery, 
a mystery of unsearchable grace that in other ages were not made known, as it is now revealed under the gospel dispensation. And among other Gentiles, would Jesus Christ take you, my dear brethren, even you despised Negroes, and join you into one fold with his people? Oh, what manner of grace is this! Would he lift you poor from the dust, you beggars from the dunghill, from the depth of your slavery to sin, to Satan, and to wicked men, to set you among princes, the princes of his people, and to make you inherit the throne of glory. And since such is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ toward us, his believing sheep of diverse nations, stations, and conditions, that he has joined us all into one fold and himself our one shepherd, he is Lord over us. So that henceforth there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian nor Scythian, bond nor free, but we are all one in Christ, and he is our all in all. We were that in Christ before you, welcome you in to him, our glorious head and root, to partake of his life and glory. We embrace you with the dearest love in the nearest union as members of the same body, as branches of the same root and rejoice to have mutual fellowship with you both in grace and glory in this world and in that to come. Come in, you blessed of the Lord. Come in by faith into our Jesus, our house of defense, our house of store. Come, you are welcome to all his grace. There's room in Christ for you. She continues to welcome these slaves into the Christian faith when she writes, Thus, O thus, my dear brethren, you shall be welcomed into the church above. May I not then say concerning you, even you despised Negroes now honored by free grace? You are a part of the Israel of God. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like unto you, a people saved by the Lord. And are you, my dear brethren, thus saved in the Lord, with an everlasting salvation. Joanne Ford Watson, the editor of these letters, notes that Dutton takes what is a largely traditional view of slavery in this letter, of course, but she nevertheless offers the hope of eternal redemption and victory in God. And so Anne writes further on in this letter, And whereas your station in the world is mean and servile, care not much for it. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Let me beseech you, therefore, my beloved brethren, to abide with God in the same calling wherein you are called. And yet Dutton does go on to promise deliverance from slavery when they are raised with Christ. She writes, Yet a little while, and Christ will deliver you, poor slaves, from all that bondage which came in by sin, into the full and glorious liberty of the sons of God. He has begun to do this work in your souls, and his hands that hath begun it shall finish it. Shortly he will take down your mortal bodies that are now subjected to pain and slavery and lay them for a while in the dust, and from there he'll raise them early in the morning of the first resurrection 
as spiritual, immortal bodies. And so she finally writes, Thus, my dear brethren, I commend you unto the Lord on whom you have believed. I should now bid you farewell, but before I close I must add a few words to your companions and fellow natives, and to you poor Negroes who have not yet believed on the Lord. What shall I say? Well, here is what she says to them. Unto you who are not willing, let me say, it is the commandment of God that you should look to his dear son for life. And so she ends the letter, Brethren, pray for me, who am yours affectionately, in our sweet Jesus, Anne Dutton. These two letters illustrate Dutton's wholehearted support for Whitfield's work. She clearly is no hyper-Calvinist, nor a narrow sectarian. And I find it interesting that she didn't hesitate to speak directly and plainly in advising the evangelist about his spiritual life. These letters also show her to be what we all are, products not just of the gospel, but of the age in which we live. We share with her the hope of future glorification. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.